When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three, two, one. Let's go. What's hot in the strip clubs? Your hosts, the 2016 and 2017 recipients of the Exotic Dancer Publications DJ of the Year Award, Danny Myers and Alon Fong. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot in the Strip Clubs podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are found on all streaming platforms, or you can go to our website, www.whatshotitsc.com. I'm your host, Elon Fong, and Behind the Curtain is a peek uh, behind the curtain of the strip club industry, as I introduce to you some of the many talented and unique individuals that work in the strip club industry with skills and talents way beyond just being strip club employees. So we're going to get into some of those unique personalities like my guest today. My guest today is Charlie Lee, also known as Charlie Foreplay, his club DJ name. Born originally in Taiwan, he moved to New York City and lived in Queens and in the Bronx starting around age five. Didn't speak a lick of English back then. Isn't that crazy? Uh, graduated from the prestigious Duke University with a degree in economics and is currently the resident DJ since 2011 of the Downtown Cabaret in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Charlie Lee. Charlie, welcome. What's up, man? man? What's up, brother? Good to see you. Likewise. Pleasure having you on. Now, uh, this is really special for me in a number of reasons. So for those of you who know me and don't, or maybe don't know my last name, my last name is Fong. I am half Chinese. And uh, Charlie is one of the few Asian djs i've met in the strip club industry there's about i don't know there's probably five to ten of us that i know of. so you got uh cuts up in las vegas you uh larue weisner but he, he's both those guys are out of the industry now um i think dustin wen up in denver i can't think of anybody else off the top of my head there's a few more but there's not very many of us <laughs> right. uh and so you know i, I find it fascinating. you're a first generation american so am i but i was born here um i grew up in pittsburgh you grew up in new york city which is like the mecca of everything American in many ways, right? People really identify with sure. New York City as America, I feel like, outside this country, right? You have the Statue sure. of Liberty. A lot of uh, the immigrant journeys began there, certainly in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, right? So how did, how did uh, now you got there around age five, not speaking any English. How did that, do you think that really formulated your uh, your persona? I mean, most people I meet from New York have a strong tie to the city. And there's so many musical connections. We'll get into all that, but uh, let's start there. I, you know what? Um, moved here when I was right around five, five years old and stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, when you're that young, you don't really know what's going on, right? Um, I just remember uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's just a real stressful time for my folks at the same time, you know, they, their English are very broken as well. And, you know, we didn't speak a lick of it. So, um, you know, just, just getting adjusted that's those first couple of years was, was a little challenging for my mom and dad, but as a kid, I didn't really notice any difference, you know, um, couldn't really talk to the, you know, obviously play and talk with the kids like, you know, everybody else did, but we made it, you know, <laughs> Did you, did you find that like isolating for you or like as a kid or is that, you know, did you tend to just keep yourself then out of that or? Yeah. I mean, like I said, when you're that young, you don't really know any different, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If people were looking at me funny, I, I didn't realize it, right? I mean, I'm one or two years old and uh, yeah, I, I always laugh because, you know, people ask me how I learned English and I'm like hours and hours of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and I picked it up pretty quickly. You know, yeah. Uh, as far as it pertains to DJ, it's kind of funny, you know, because I have a lot of friends that are like, you know, do you remember this song? It came out in like the early '80s, and I was like, well, that was before I spoke English, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, I think, for sure. Uh, I remember the first uh, album I ever bought was probably Appetite for Destruction, and that was probably mm -hmm. the first album I listened to where I understand all the lyrics, you know. Right. And I understood what they were saying and what they were singing about, you know. But prior to that, I remember buying, a, uh, having like a Def Leppard uh, cassette tape, you know. Wow. No idea what they were singing about, you know, no idea what they were saying, but just thought the music was really cool and stuff I, like that. I was going to ask you, when did music sort of enter your life and what band or artist made you say, wow, that's it. That's like, that caught your attention. Man, music entered my life very, very early, um, you know. Uh, when I was probably in second grade, I want to say, and I always remember this pretty vividly. Uh, my dad had bought me uh, a little cassette player, mm -hmm. and it was a dual cassette player, which was pretty badass, right? Yeah. So at that time, you know, um, I was listening to the Top 100 Countdown with Casey Kasem, you know, uh, again, understanding little bits of what they were saying, but not all of it, you know, but um, one of my favorite pastimes was just to sit there and just record songs that I liked off of uh you know uh, the radio and stuff mm -hmm. you know so uh that definitely made a pressure on me and um obviously hair bands was you know at its peak at that point right sure uh, early mid 80s or whatnot and really hitting its stride and you know uh, i was fascinated by that like you know oh my god you know he's got, he's got all <laughs> the girls and like you know yeah right crazy cool what they're doing you know like that that must be a cool thing so you know you know, I think, you know, younger people, they don't understand the impact of MTV and that gen and that on our generation. Right. So like you said, with the girls and, uh, you know, rock bands at the time were pretty and they sang about partying and sex and cool cars and like the videos were full of hot chicks and all that. And I know me as a half Chinese person trying to fit in, I thought that was the American dream. You know, I wanted wanted to hang out with the hot blonde and. Hundred <laughs> look, percent. Me too. And look at the hot Look at the industry I ended up in. I ended up in the strip club industry <laughs> right. for thirty right. years, right? Right. Hundred uh, percent, man. I, I totally agree, man. Just seeing all that, the lifestyle, and you know, it's just a little fantasy world. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, growing up uh, having Asian parents, I mean, you know, the discipline was pretty. It was pretty strict, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, but that was my escape was music, right? Right. Uh, it just that that was my free time activity. I, I just wanted to listen to music and and you know. Uh, see what was out there and whatnot, you know, and um, having that cassette player, man, it was a game changer, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. Did yeah. you find that, did your parents really get your passion for music? It's funny because my dad and I, uh, he was an engineer and Chinese and it was all, you know, school, school, school and provide and stability and all that stuff, right? And uh, it wasn't until much later in life, actually, uh, that he 
kind of finally understood. It was a little bit before he passed. He said to me, my biggest regret was if I'd understood how important music was to you, I would have made sure you got, you know, every vocal lesson, every piano lesson. He's like, I, I just didn't understand. And luckily I did get that closure with him before he passed. But was there a lot of butting heads with your parents on your music journey or or did they understand it at all? Or You know what? Um, you know, they're obviously well, well aware that I was into music. You know, I, I'd be blasting it from my room, you know, <laughs> even from a very early age. And um, yeah, I think they got it, you know? Like I, I remember when I was... Uh, junior high or whatnot uh for my birthday my dad actually got me a guitar cool and uh, that was cool as hell right that was yeah. like the best gift ever you know what i mean um they understood i love music man uh yeah it was my escape like i said it was, it was definitely my escape it was definitely my hobby and full-time hobby you know i played drums i played guitars oh, wow. as early as i could you know i uh, was always into the music scene man was always into it and um yeah i mean they they you know they tolerated it as long as the uh, as long great. as the grades were there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. For sure. That was pretty much a trade off. What band or artist? What what like what band did you obsess about in those early years? I'm just curious. I know you oh, guns and roses, but man, like I said, I think the very first cassette tape I ever bought my own money was Def Leppard. Okay. And uh, was the Pyromania or his or uh, uh, Hysteria? Hysteria, okay. Hysteria, without a doubt. I always remember that 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 whole album front of phenomenal. Just, yeah, I agree, man. Great record. Um, you know, I was into even like like fringe bands. I I love White Lion. Don't fucking laugh. It was I like, love White Lion, dude. Vito yeah. Brado on guitar. Forget about it. Vito Brado, yeah. It was like you know he's like the second coming of Van Halen. So yep. uh, you know, I, just all types of weird shit, man. All types of weird shit, dude. I, I was into it all, man. That's um, awesome. Yeah, the hair bands were were amazing to me. So quick remember, plug. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I remember when we were younger too, right? You know, you would hear uh, at my age. I remember they were talk talking about like, you know, this is a time when Ozzy was super controversial. Yeah, you know, he was biting bats' heads off and stuff like that. <laughs> and all my friends at school were like, if you listen to his music, you're going to become a devil worshiper. <laughs> and I remember like thinking all this stuff, and I remember like going out and buy buying a uh, Motley Crue's Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, and pressing play on it and going, I don't feel any different, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know but it was a kick-ass album, you know. What yes, I mean? it was. That's, so, that's a great record too, by the way. Uh, quick sure. plug. So we just created Danny and I, and we had a bunch of people vote. Created the Strip Club Music Hall of Fame. I don't know if you saw our initial yeah, the voting awesome. done. Yeah, yeah. So do you did you hear who the five first ballots were? I did not actually. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal it yet. So go listen, people. It's on uh, <laughs> what's hot itsc.com uh the strip club music hall of fame you can also check that out at www.stripclubhof.com you'll see who our inaugural class is of 2023 many of the bands mr charlie lee loved and listened to that he just mentioned are on the list okay uh when did djing become uh come in your circle and in your sphere and become relevant like when did that start Ooh. becoming a that, that, I, I definitely remember that very vividly i remember uh i had a buddy we didn't go to the same high school, obviously, but we, we were uh, good friends. And uh, I remember going to his house one time to borrow an amp that I needed for something. And I remember walking in his room and he had these turntables out and this little mixer set up. And I was like, well, what's that? And he's like, oh, these are turntables, man. I'm, I'm learning how to DJ. And I was like, oh, okay, like, well, let's show me what's, what's going on here. And I remember it was like an old school Gemini mixer with the orange right. padding and like, you know, and he's just pretty much mixing the same song, the same record on both sides and just, you know, practicing that way, you know, and it just showing me how to beat match and, and things like that. And uh, I, I was instantly hooked, instantly hooked. And uh, this kid uh, had a 
he came from a pretty wealthy family, you know, mm-hmm. have all those fun toys and whatnot, but he had all the equipment, right? He had all the right. sound equipment and stuff like that. So um, I started tagging along with him because he actually got gigs. I mean, you know, huh. he was like, what, 14, 15? And, you know, I was playing house parties and doing little cool little things like that. And his dad was really supportive of it. So I would just tag along to, to all of his gigs, you know? And um, long story short, I just met a bunch of de- young DJs at the time mm-hmm. growing up in Queens. And uh was really lucky, too. Uh, my neighbors across the street from me in Queens uh, were these two older guys, and they were just cool as fuck, man. Like, they were like my older brothers growing up. And um, it's a funny story behind that. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. But I remember one time just uh, walking through the neighborhood and hearing somebody playing live drums across the street. And I was like, oh, that, those must be the new guys that just moved in. <laughs> and I heard drums and, you know, I didn't think anything of it. For some reason, I always, I just thought automatically, I don't know why, that it was a kid, right? Okay. So I ran in my house, grabbed my guitar in my hand, <laughs> and I walk on over and I knock Let's on jam. the door. Yeah. I open the door and, you know, I think I'm like 13 or 14 at this point. And, you know, this older guy opens the door. He's like, you know, he's like in his 20s and he's like, what do you want? And I was like, well, let's jam. And he's like, Okay, come on in. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Stranger so, danger, you know, stranger danger. Right, right off the jump, man. I was just, you know, it was really cool to be around those guys. And, um, you know, they were very musically inclined too. Pat and Mark Evangelista. Shout out to those guys if you guys are listening. Yeah. Um, no, they're good guys, man. Uh, it's funny because years later, they owned a bar down in, uh, in Midtown in Manhattan. And uh, during the summers when I come back from school, I would DJ for them. Oh, that's so, awesome, yeah, just the long, long journey with these guys. I mean, the, uh, Pat was a drummer. Uh, his little brother, Mark, was a bouncer at a couple of nightclubs in, in Queens, you know. So I, I, right off the jump, I was really exposed to uh, people that were in the industry in one way or another. Not necessarily the strip club industry, but sure. uh, musically, you know, musically inclined people. So, yeah. Did you get to DJ in New York coming up, like in your teenage years and through high school at all? Or? Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, you know, like my buddy who uh, had all that equipment, um I would tag along with him. And, and like I said, I met a bunch of young upcoming DJs in, in Queens at the time, you know, and uh, I was just fascinated by it, man. They were doing, uh, you know, like 18 and over clubs and, mm-hmm. and DJing all these parties and whatnot. And I was like, I want to do that, you know, and um, was able pretty much just to work with these guys and uh, told my dad, hey, I was like, you know, I like to DJ on the weekends or whatnot. <laughs> And I remember him telling me, he said, uh, well, you can DJ on the weekends. If you really love it, though, I have two stipulations. <laughs> Hit me with it. He says, uh, one, anything that you make from it, you can't keep. You got to get to give it to me since you are so uh, passionate about this. Let's test that, you know. OK. So I was like, all right. You know, like when you're when you're 15, 16, what do you care? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, a couple bucks for like, you know, some snacks and shit like that i'm good so you know right. um yeah i started getting booked doing sweet 16 parties and high school parties and little things like that got a little exposure to it and um like i said man just basically hooked on it just wanted to play music i was like well you know the live musician thing that's cool too but uh this is a great second runner up kind of deal yeah. <laughs> this works out you know what i mean yeah uh, so yeah you know it, it, it was definitely uh something imprinted on me and, and plus i mean you know we're, we're talking about the 1990s here right in my in my eyes probably the greatest decade in music ever 
because everything was up and coming at the time, you know, right. every genre was right. I remember uh, when I started DJing as a teenager, you know, I was big into hip hop, uh, huge into dance hall reggae. It's random, but you know, no, that sounds really awesome. huge in New York at the time, you know, and of course house music, which is without a doubt my passion these days, you know, so just, just a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of music at the time. And, you know, that really shaped my, my view. Well, that's the beauty of New York City, right? It's got a scene for everything. Now, did, uh, you know, hip-hop, obviously New York sort of dominated early 90s, late 80s hip-hop uh, before the, the West Coast sort of sprang up and then the Dirty South. And then house music was sort of blown up in America around then in the early 90s. Did you, uh, were you using like open format with the parties just sort of like top 40? When You know, kind of give me a little picture of what was, what you were spinning. You know, what's funny back then is that, uh, well, it was just what, what was popping in New York at the time, exactly what you said, you know. Hip-hop was huge, obviously. I remember, um, I mean, there was a cruising strip that we would drive up and down. Uh, it, it was just a big hangout spot, Francis Lewis Boulevard. If you grew up in Queens, you know exactly where that was. You would just come, you know, you just roll down there with your buddies and, you know, just cruise up and down the strip trying to pick up chicks, right? Yeah. Chicks would be going back and forth, and you'd be back and forth, and you'd pull somebody over if you saw something you liked, and, you know... Uh, the mainstay about about the whole cruising strip though was the music that was playing out of all the cars. Right. Some some kids had sound systems in their cars, and you know, I just remember being in front of the like, Carvel ice cream the first time I ever heard Mob Deep shook ones, and I was just oh, like, yeah, just a badass. Like you know, my buddy had a badass subwoofer in his car, and it was just bumping. I was just like, oh wow this is some dark shit right here, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just picking a lot of the music from there, you know, like, like I said, dance hall was really huge back then. Hip hop was huge and house. So honestly, uh, you know, back then I don't really think we thought about format that much. It was more just like, you know, what's popping and what'll get the girls dancing, you know? Amen. <laughs> like that. So I don't think kids even cruise anymore. They probably don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> did, uh, any, any uh, cool, like early celebrity stories you cross paths with anybody or in, in the scene or like hip hop artists or DJs or anything that ended up blowing up? Oh man. <laughs> oh, I got a story with that dude. So there was this 18 and over club in Queens uh, at the time. And it was called the underground. It's actually pretty famous. Actually uh, hot 97 used to broadcast out of there on the weekends. Yeah. Funkmaster Flex would DJ out of that place on the weekends. And this club was probably, two, three miles from my house. It was okay. on Bell Boulevard, you know? And I remember one time my buddy Tom was uh, DJing one of the 18 and over nights. And that night, I mean, you understand, this is in like the middle of Queens, New York, right? It's in Bayside, Queens to be specific, you know? Uh, largely Caucasian neighborhood, right? Okay. And um, I remember they were like, yeah, there's this group call and coming here tonight to perform live. They're called the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, shit. And, nobody knew who they were i had no clue who they were I was like, yeah, okay and uh i remember they gave us like black and white photos like promo pics from them and they were all signed from routine clan i just remember getting one of them going eh whatever right? <laughs> and it was the coolest picture too when i think back about it, it was like the wu-tang clan under the queensboro bridge and wow you know, yeah and um it was signed by all of them you know and i remember uh you know they they show up at midnight and like i said nobody knew who they were right you know and we're talking about predominantly white neighborhood. <laughs> and all of a sudden coming down the stairs are like eight or eight to 10 black guys. And everyone's like, what the hell what is going hell? on here? You know? <laughs> uh, and a long story short, it was Wu-Tang Clan, but nobody knew who they were. So they were like, give them the business at the door. Like, you know, what are you guys doing here? You know, right. 
want to see some IDs and you know, reek of weed smoke and you know, and I just remember like ODB. I totally remember this. I was like, I had no idea who he was at the time, right. but I just remember being at the door and like you know, like one of the bouncers would give him a hard time about how he's dressed and whatnot. And he's just like, "Yo, get this crazy white boy off of me!" <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, you know, obviously we all know what happened with Wu Tang. I mean, like, yeah. we nobody knew who they were that night, obviously, but. About two, three weeks later, Protect Your Neck came out, and they oh, blew shit. the fuck up, man. Blew yeah. the fuck up. And that's my, uh, that's my close encounter. <laughs> story that's awesome. Me. And now everybody was there that night, right, in the stories? Oh, I was yeah. there that night when they played. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, like a dum-dum, I was really careless with the uh, signed Picture. promo pick that I got from ah. them. So, yeah, still to this day, I think about it. Could have sold on eBay for 100 grand. Out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, they are playing the uh, Ohio State Fair this summer to show you how things come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Wu-Tang! Rizzo and the crew. All right. Uh, so we kind of get through your DJing period here. What? When did you enter the strip club industry? How did that happen? Oh, man. So, uh, well, when I went to college, you know, um, I remember. Dukies, Blue Devils. Duke. That's right. Uh, ACC champs, by the way. Just yes. Like. Yes. As usual, most of the time. <laughs> um you know i dj'd all throughout college too right I, okay I figured out when i first got to college i was like i really don't have time for a work study job and uh you know i, I remember freshman year uh we had a dorm uh you know social coming up and they were trying to figure out entertainment for them and i was like i'll dj if you want you know um and i remember uh just you know going out and renting a mixer and um you know college student at the time and didn't have a lot of money so i remember borrowing two tape decks from some hall roommates, you know, nice. some hall in my dorm and DJing the thing with cassette tapes. Cassettes, damn. How funny as that sounds, right? So going back to my whole thing about recording songs off the radio. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was my first gig ever. I didn't have a lot of money to put into it and uh, didn't really have all my music down there. So I used cassette tapes. And it was just funny because towards the end of songs, the radio call would come, this is Z100. And I'd be like, mix over <laughs> so uh yeah that was my first gig ever you know but that's I, cool yeah. in college how was duke for you man i mean that's a uh i would imagine a uh well-off white based crew in the, in the carolinas north carolina oh, yeah. uh you're an asian guy from new york how did how did that transit how did that feel coming from new york city to go down to chapel hill right uh, durham north carolina durham yeah. sorry chapel hill's the enemy <laughs> exactly Sorry. very close by though so um man it was different man it was definitely culture shock you know you grow up in new york and i, I really didn't leave new york you know mm -hmm. from the time i moved there so didn't really know much about anything that was outside of new york to be quite honest with you um and i just remember uh i'll always remember this i was my freshman year i think it was like the first or second week we were there and a bunch of uh, my, my roommates and a bunch of dorm mates were like, let's go over to the West Campus and see what, what the frat parties are about. Mm -hmm. So I remember uh, getting on a bus, the uh, campus bus, and headed over to the West Campus. And at the time, uh, the Roots were playing a, a concert nice. on, on, you know, on the campus that night. Yeah. And I just remember walking by a bunch of white frat boys. And they were like, you guys freshmen? And we're like, yeah. And they're like, all right, just be careful. A lot of monkeys around here tonight. And my jaw dropped to the floor. Oh, shit. Dark, right? Like you don't really, it's a melting pot, right? All different nationalities, races. Right. You know, religious, religions out there. And, you know, I was like, did he really just fucking say that? Wow. So, yeah, definitely a little bit of culture shock. But uh, my college friends and I, we were like 
like a Benetton commercial, really. <laughs> two Indian guys, an Italian guy, and you know, so we're just kind of like, wow, we're we're definitely uh, in, in a different place now. No. Welcome to the South. Right, right, pretty much, man. That's pretty crazy. So you graduate from college, graduate from Duke, get your degree in economics, and uh, you ended up going, what, moving out to Vegas or California? Yeah, well, uh, when I graduated college, um, I was working on a startup company. Uh, I really thought that was what I was going to do, right? Mm -hmm. So graduate of college, again, right off the jump, had a job at this uh, company and, and trying to make that work. Um, it didn't pan out, and... My one of my best friends from from Duke was already living out in Las Vegas, so he's like, "Hey, if you got no plans, come out here and you know just move out here with me, man. You know, just Hell hang yeah. out for a little bit. It's Las Vegas; it'll be fun." And uh, he did that on the promise of getting me a job, an interview at uh, one of the casinos out there. And I okay. was like, "Hey, well, yeah, that sounds interesting. Let me try and see if I can do that." You know, so uh, moved out to Vegas, interviewed with this company, and what they offered me didn't what didn't sound appealing at the time you know so in my head i'm like well you know what i'll just dj for a little bit and then i can figure out what i want to do and uh my buddy my roommate was like you know there's this club it's a strip club and you know i know you don't do strip clubs but you know i heard they make pretty decent money over there so long story short i went in there auditioned for a day shift position and got it and uh that club turned out to be the spearmint rhino in las vegas and and that's, yeah, that's where I started. <laughs> it, it's crazy we didn't cross paths because I was at Club Paradise in 99 and 2000. And that's we actually, me and uh, my buddy, Woody Hollywood, went to the grand opening party at Spearmint Rhino because it was before it was that mega, it was in that strip mall, but it hadn't taken over the whole thing yet. Oh, it was, yeah. It was really small. And then, uh, like, we were there with, oh, God, uh, Penn and Teller or whichever, the, whoever the tall one was. We were kind of standing next to him. Yeah. I think yeah. Penn's the big guy, right? He got mad because I, I, I told him that. I go, are you Penn or Teller? He's like, what the fuck? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I just know the name. I know you're one of them. <laughs> but, uh, and some porn stars <laughs> at the yeah, time. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, uh, yeah, so yeah, none of the mega clubs had opened up yet. So Sapphires wasn't there. Like Club Paradise was the top club and then kind of the new club. And we were crossing the Hard Rock. There was no Palms yet. Like, you know what I mean? So like the Vegas of, of now that people say was just sort of starting with the mega clubs and the, you know what I mean? Yeah, without a doubt. I remember very distinctly uh, about Las Vegas at the time. Yeah, you're right. Club Paradise was the top of the food chain. I would say Crazy Horse was up there as well. Mm -hmm. Crazy Horse too. I remember going to Club Paradise too. <laughs> and I was like, man, these guys are fancy here because I, you know, you guys had the whole gown thing going. You would right. have you'd have these like feature acts, you know, on the weekends and whatnot. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is this is pretty high level stuff, you know. We had our own showgirls. We didn't do features. It was our in-house, they yeah, were exactly. like, actually yeah. Vegas showgirls, right? Who, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, that was cool. It was dope. I knew a lot of girls that, that uh were part of those shows, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was smart enough the rhino. The rhino at the time wasn't much. What people right. have to remember about Vegas at this time is oh, there were no clubs, right? There were maybe two nightclubs in the entire right. city. There Body English, yeah, and no, 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 it wasn't even that, open yet. That, yeah, two thousand. That it was like, no, yeah, yeah. it was like uh, Club Utopia, and yeah, at, yeah, at Luxor, you know, and the and Beach so, Club, and the Beach Club. <laughs> right, right, exactly, you know? So it's like if you wanted to do something outside of gambling at casinos at night, strip clubs was Las Vegas nightlife, right? right. You could go to the strip clubs, and then uh, the strip clubs ruled the day back then. But uh, that being said, the Rhino wasn't really anything uh like it is today right it was just getting started out you know um 
And I remember getting there and like, you know, at the time having like 50, 60 girls was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, within a year of me getting there, I mean, we started doubling that number. And then yeah, we started wow. doing the uh, after hours. And that's that's really what put us on the map, you know. Right. So we went from like having 60, 70 girls on the weekends to like 140, like almost overnight. Yeah. So started that thing. And then, you know, from that point on, you know, all the girls started migrating from the other clubs. And we, we took quite a few girls from Club Paradise. Yeah, and, yeah I know a lot of our girls went eventually. Speedas and, you know. Know, um, and, and just started that momentum going, you know. Um, yeah, pretty soon we were running like 200 to 300 girls on the weekend. Yeah, it was a monster. You yeah, guys were a monster. Sure. For sure, I, man. But I'll start with that after hours, man. Okay. You know, uh, that's definitely what, what made us different. I remember uh, there would be a line out the door at like nine in the morning, like blazing desert sun out, but a line wrapped around the building at nine in the morning, you know, people trying to right. get in. I remember getting in and luckily we knew a few people. So we would get in, we'd go in after work at late, like you said, late. Did you know Alan Chang and those guys when, when they were there? Uh, I, that doesn't sound familiar, but. Okay. Cause he ended up now he created the, the, the peppermint hippo. So he was a bounce okay. from Vegas or a <laughs> okay. VIP host there. And he, anyways, okay. just out of curiosity, I thought, you know, um, did you have any interesting experiences? I know as a half Chinese guy, I don't look Chinese. So I always felt like, I can kind of peek behind the curtain of things because I look very white, right? Sure. And I know I've run into no no like outright direct racism towards me, but people would definitely drop. I remember I had one manager at a club I worked at and he was saying chink this, chink that. And I'm kind of like, hey, watch what you say. And he's like, well, what the fuck you care? I'm like, because I'm Chinese. He's like, ha, 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 very funny. I go, my last name is Fong. I'm being very fucking serious right now. Say it again. <laughs> you know um, what I mean? Yeah, and you know, luckily I didn't really encounter a lot of that, you know, um, I well rewind a little bit when I remember I get into college and you know we're in North Carolina for crying out loud and all my friends were like oh my god there's this Asian guy and he's got the thickest New York accent because my accent was super thick back then right used to talk like this no know, way you know love chocolate hang out with your daughter you know? <laughs> I, I just I just grew up in Queens just you know had this super strong accent and uh fucking no get out of here forget exactly. about it i was made fun of mercilessly in college, <laughs> uh but yeah you know moving to vegas it was uh no nah, man i didn't really get encounter a lot of that to be honest with you you know luckily but um you know definitely a culture shock again right yeah. you go from like an ivy league prep heaven to like Riverland Vegas. Like, you know? No shit. That's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it, it was just like it, it was just party on at that point, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things we like to do is kind of uh for our non-strip club audience and listeners, we like to explain some differences or some things about the industry. So if you would, could you kind of maybe clarify the difference between normal club DJing and strip club DJing? What are some of the big differences that you have Oof. to navigate? Yeah, you know, uh so normal nightclub DJing, uh your responsibility is to keep people dancing, right? And mm -hmm. you have to keep that energy up on the floor. Um, and a lot of ways, you know, it's all about building energy, whether you're talking about strip club DJing or nightclub DJing. But I think with strip club DJing, there's a much bigger aspect of organizing to it than there is with nightclub DJing. You know, uh, nightclub DJing, you're primarily worried about music and making the right selections to keep that floor going, to keep people dancing so they buy drinks. And, you mm -hmm. know, that's pretty much it. You know, with strip club DJing, it's uh, like there's a whole element, element of organizing, you know, and that's organizing your rotation. And um, it's almost like, you know, if if nightclub DJing was juggling with three balls, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
strip club DJing is like juggling with five, right? With chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a little different, you know. Uh, not much emphasis on like transitions and stuff like that with strip club DJing, but much more, uh, like I said, organizing your, your your rotation list, you know, and adjusting on the fly as needed so that you could keep up the energy but uh, still have an organized show. So you, yeah, for for sure, running the stage rotation is what he means when he says rotation. And how did did you have any problems uh, adding the emceeing part? Were you pretty comfortable with talking on the mic because you don't have to do that as much on as, as a club DJ, right? Oh man, that was definitely different for me because com- coming into Las Vegas, I, I didn't have much experience emceeing, you know. Um, and I remember I auditioned. I mean, I remember I just down two shots really quick at the bar and <laughs> jumped into it, you know, and uh, and nailed it. But yeah, it was definitely an adjustment starting off, right? So nobody really, I mean, this is like, we're talking about 2000 here that I started, you know, uh, and nobody really trains you, right? They just kind of right. throw you the wolves. They're like, you got your own music? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, well, there you go. You know, just, just figure it out. <laughs> and um, I'll be honest with you, I kind of preferred it that way, right? Yeah. Like you either sink or swim, right? So yeah. Um, you know, you just throw, throw them right into it. But it definitely took me a while to find my voice because I remember the guy that I worked under at the time had the stripical, like, pukey voice. The stripical? Puke voice. Yeah, yeah. Voice. So the, the, Tell the people local. what puke voice is for the non-stripical. Hey, people. fellas, welcome out to the Spirit Rhino. And this is a her, this is Chastity with her first song. <laughs> just some really, like, you know, just some real just a showmanship behind it, you know, and I get it. <laughs> But I remember trying to mimic him at the time, and I'm like, I sound so stupid, like, trying to take this voice on, you know? And um, it definitely took a year or so before I found what what worked for me. Just put it that way. I would love to be the guy who hears your voice doing the puke voice on the mic. You know, he's at the club, and he hears, hey, and then he goes up to meet the DJ, and there's this little short Asian guy (laughs) who sounds like he's like, you know, Wolfman Jack. (laughs) Oh, man, I I got that a lot, you know. But I think I still had a twinge of my New York accent, so they're even more shocked to figure out (laughs) short Asian guy, you know. Um, We're talking like this. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, also about one of the things I've noticed different, and you're you're. I only learned club DJing late in my career, but I know one of the things I really had to learn as I learned to, I say, really DJ is you have to know the songs inside and out, like verse, chorus, all the breakdown parts, because you got to figure out when you're going to mix in and okay. you know where you're going to beat match. Are you just going to drop it in? Are you going to echo out? Are you? Gonna, these are all DJ terms and mixing okay. techniques. But uh, where the strip club DJ, and and the other thing is with club DJing, you only play songs short snippets essentially whereas we're stuck in a strip club you play the full three or you play three minute songs roughly um so talk a little bit about that difference of it well i'll tell you what i mean uh back then i, I don't think there was you know back then there wasn't an in like, all right just put it this way i would say i would probably have noticed in the last 10 to 15 years or so where people's attention spans have completely been reduced to like you know what you know if a song ran for like three minutes it would help hold your interest for the most part but in the last 10-15 years if you're DJing a nightclub and a dance floor you play a song longer than a minute and a half two at max people you're, you're losing their attention right off the Crazy. jump you know, they, they kind of want that hit every every you know that hit of dopamine every minute and a half yeah. or so so there's these crazy transaction, uh, crazy transitions. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, involved with it. You know, at a strip club, it's a little different. Luckily, you know, your music isn't the main show. The the girl is right. The girls are right. So in a way, uh, people don't notice as much that you're playing a full three minute song. So I guess that would be the biggest difference I could see. Right. 
with nightclub DJing, you know, like these days, especially if you're playing mixed format, you kind of have to slam it, right? Right. And like I said earlier, you know, when you're DJing a nightclub, you, your primary focus is to keep that dance floor going. So, um, yeah, very, very different for sure. You know, with, with strip club DJ, I almost feel like it, you know, with, given the parameters, it's a little difficult sometimes, you know, uh, one of the biggest complaints I see these days amongst DJs in our industry is, you know, how short the songs are now, mm -hmm. but uh, it all has to do with the new technology, right? So yeah. in order to get better streams or more streams, uh, artists are almost encouraged in a way to have shorter songs, like two yeah, minutes sure. that are, yeah. uh, you know, that people want to play over and over again. So um, yeah, definitely an adjustment, man, without a doubt. And it's going to get worse. I don't know if you saw this, but Spotify has a new buy-in system for the labels and whatnot. So it's kind of Spotify is becoming pay to play essentially. So we'll see. And even some congressmen, I just re read something about this. I don't know enough to really go into it, but uh, essentially Spotify is having a new component where you can pay 25% higher fees as a record label to get your, the algorithms to favor your music <laughs> to get seen more. So but, uh, con Congress already is like, ah, hold on. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we're going to have more in a second. We'll have more with Charlie foreplay, AKA Charlie Lee right after this. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right, we are back with Charlie Lee, a.k.a. Charlie Foreplay on Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot into Strip Clubs podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. You can find us on all major streaming platforms or go to our website, www.whatshotitsc.com. Back here with Charlie Lee, the resident DJ at Downtown Cabaret in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Phenomenal DJ. He can DJ all styles, hip-hop, EDM, house music, open format. Great guy. Uh, I'm super excited to have him on the show. We've been talking about DJing and uh, the strip club community and how he came up through the industry. Uh, so we're going to go a little bit deeper with Charlie now. Um, what would be your dream set list? So like if you didn't have to be a club DJ, you were an artist and people were paying to see Charlie, just you, Charlie Foreplay, what would be your dream set list to play? Oh man, uh, that's easy. I, I love house music, man. I, I grew up on house music. That's always been my thing. 
um, been really, really lucky to have met a lot of the DJs along the way that kind of, uh, fostered that, that, that passion for the song, you know, that, that, uh, genre, um, been some been good friends with some really good DJs, man. Some really amazing, talented DJs, you know. Uh, one of my buddies who I met in Las Vegas, uh, Jameson. Shout out to my boy, Jameson. Uh, Jameson. He uh, moved to the UK to run the uh, Spearman Rhinos in the UK. And um, he's been a big influence on my life. Uh, just the exposure to music from him, you know. I remember in the uh, early 2010s, you know, at the time, EDM was coming into its own, right? And... To me, EDM is really, really different from house music. Right? Yeah. EDM is really, uh, you know, the time the, the the type of EDM at that time that was becoming popular, it was being fused with hip hop, you know. So that was a time mm -hmm. when David Guetta was doing mixes with Usher and Nicki Minaj and everybody was kind of jumping on that train, you know. And mm -hmm. I just remember being feeling so disillusioned with it, right? I mean, like it popped, right? You knew sure. it was popular close, but it's just not the house music that I grew up with. Right. I grew up on like Danny Teneglia and, and you know, uh, Junior Sanchez, you know, just some of the darker New York house stuff, you know, and uh, was, was always about that kind of house. And I felt like that EDM was kind of bastardizing that for me, you know. Um, so I just remember uh, reconnecting with my buddy Jameson at the time, who I hadn't seen them in it. I remember he uh, he's like, man, I'm going to Miami for Ultra. You know, you should come meet, meet up with me. I was like, all right, cool. And we get to Miami, and I'm like, so we going to Ultra? He's like, fuck no. <laughs> like, I'm going I'm to take you to see some of the underground artists, you know. Oh, like, very cool. That I started following from, from you know, from my time in the UK. And, uh, I mean, that was just a, an epiphany for me, just to hear some of the newer stuff, you know. At the time, they they labeled it Deep House. Yeah. In my head, though, I'm like, this is just the house music that I grew up with, you know. Right. It's a little darker. It's, you know, it's deeper, and it's got a little bit more feel than uh, mm -hmm. than bubblegum stuff you know so uh i love house music man you know and uh coincidentally at my club pretty soon in the next two months or so we're gonna run a new promotion we're gonna do an all house music night and it's awesome gonna be house call mondays and um awesome. yeah so i get to play like a three-hour set of just shit out hell yeah i'm excited for you man Same, who are man. some of those guys you're talking about who are your influences like uh dj's DJs, well, at the time, man, um, when I took that trip to Miami with Jameis, and that was the start of many trips, actually. So okay. the last decade, you know, we've gone to Ibiza. I've oh, heard him, uh, yeah, Jameson is actually a resident DJ at Ministry of Sound in the UK. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, which is like house mecca, right? Bucket list. That's bucket list. That and Ibiza are on my bucket list. So yeah, no, it's sick, man. But but uh we started going to yeah, we start going to these festivals. I mean, we just get together and we just go to cool ass festivals and concerts, man. I remember going to the defected uh uh festival in Croatia a couple wow. of years ago, you know, and just hearing some just amazing DJs. I mean, I love Solomon and Tale of Us. I mean, there's just too many groups to really um name, but Man, I love progressive house. I love tech house. I love all that stuff, man. You turned me on. So I, I got to keep reminding me myself to follow up with you because I did ask you for some underground stuff, and you sent me like Greco and uh, I forget who else now, but I the stuff I ended up playing in my club that uh, some of my girls really dug. Uh, you're always on top of the underground stuff before I am, so I got to remember <laughs> keep harassing you for for tips on that stuff. <laughs> uh, would you ever want to be a touring artist? Have, have you been a have you produced your own stuff? I know you've done mix shows and stuff, but no, I, you know, I really haven't dabbled in the production side uh, that much. Um, 
I mean, I make simple remixes, but nothing, nothing crazy. Not like on a level of like a Mike D or anything like that, you know. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, touring. I don't know, man. Uh, it's it's kind of ironic, you know. I figured out through the years that I'm really more of an introvert than anything. You know? <laughs> so um, and, you know, it's funny, you know. Coincidentally, we're talking about this new promotion that we got coming up you know uh, my booth mate is like man we're gonna move the dj booth out to the uh, one of the stages you know so it actually looks like a real dj concert you know shit and i'm sitting here going oh man oh you're in the spotlight like oh man Charlie. so old school right like you know like if you think about it right back in the day if you wanted to go hear a dj spin somewhere right you'd be like okay he's playing at this nightclub Fuck. let's go over there and dance our asses off right right and you didn't give a shit what the DJ was doing, right? Like he was in a dark corner somewhere. You didn't even see him, right? You just enjoy the music and you, you know, enjoy the energy on the floor and you did your thing. And nowadays, like I said, in probably the last 10, 15 years, all of a sudden the DJ is now it's a concert now. A star, yeah. Yeah. And he's actually under the spotlights on the stage. And it's so like weird. It's super weird. Cause like if you ask most DJs, right? I would say like a tiny fraction of them really do some crazy crazy phenomenal stuff with with mixing right yeah like, james hype james you know yeah he's Hyde an anomaly know. though yeah he's, yeah of course he's an anomaly, you know most of us are just fucking transitioning from one plus you know one track to another and you know maybe throwing an effect or two you know to make it sound smooth or a little more polished up but you know we're not doing anything special man we're, we're playing records yeah and i was joking around with my buddy i was like I could, man i gotta start practicing my fist pumping right now <laughs> exactly man it's jesus just, christ pose Oh man, you got to strike that pose at some point and you know, all that stuff. And it's just, it's just funny to me, man. You know, I, I'm definitely going to be out of my element with that. That's for sure, man. <laughs> it's weird when you go to a show to see a DJ, cause it is a show now, like you said, and like, I come from rock. I was a rock singer. I fronted a band, right. And you know, you're shaking your ass and jumping around and you know, I came from the David Lee Ross school of show. So doing kicks and splits and all that stuff. And, <laughs> but a DJ can't do that cause you're tied to the board. You got, you know, you can't run around. You're not a singer. So you, it's hard, you know, you, it's hard to even interact with the crowd. It's so weird to me. I've got, obviously I've gone to some shows at clubs sure. and you're right, man. I, and I miss the dance floor. People are barely dancing anymore. Right. It's no, so weird. no doubt. It's so weird. Somewhere along the line, they figured out, you know, I remember uh, back in the day, dance floor used to be this big, right. And, uh, you know, the bar would be on the side in case you got right. there. And then somewhere through the years, somebody figured out, Hey, I could sell a $30 bottle of booze for like 400 and all of a sudden the shrink. <laughs> <dance floor shrank. laughs> and you know, yep. everything was seating now, you know, yep. now they so, dance in their booths. Yeah, exactly. And that was, that was a definitely a big change and transition in the way nightclubs, you know, came up, but that also co coincided with the popularity of nightclubs, you know, these mega yeah. clubs that, that came to be right. Uh, once Vegas realized how lucrative it could be, that's when it all took off. You know, last I heard so, Hakkasan was like 15 grand a table now. Something that like sounds that. about right. Coming, I mean, out of even, co coming out of COVID. Even the most ridiculous things like bottle presentations, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. A menu for that. Just for that alone. You yeah. could have a theme bottle presentation. You yeah. could have a Superman themed one. You could have a Pokemon themed one that you can buy. Nuts. Even so, at the yeah. strip clubs. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so real quick on the, the artist tip, who would be your dream artist to open for or tour with or spin with, play with? Ooh. You could DJ with anybody. Man. Right now, at this moment, obviously, I think the my two favorite acts right now have got to be John Summit or Vintage Culture. All um, right. I like those guys. Right now. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I really dig a lot of the stuff they've been putting out the last couple of years. Good call. Good pick.
So what's next for Charlie? What's next for Charlie Foreplay, for, in fact? So what's next for Charlie Lee, the strip club DJ? And then are there any plans for Charlie Foreplay, your club DJ persona? I'll tell you what, man. I'm lucky enough to have worked at a uh, to work at a club that kind of uh, fosters both of those passions. To be honest with you, you know. That's awesome. I've been at the Downtown Cabaret for uh, it'll be 12 years this coming October, and that's the longest I've ever been at any gig. And this is without a doubt the best job I've had in this industry by far. Um, I work with some of my best friends. That's awesome. Uh, my work family is literally my family. You know, uh, it's my support system. It's just I work with some really amazing people in my club, and wow. uh, yeah, so definitely a lot of outlets to uh, let that creativity flow. This house call party, you know, it, it was my idea. I was like, I really want to do this, and everybody just got behind it. And now, oh yeah, that's be something that we're planning towards. Um, probably going to roll out in the next few months here. So, um, do you have a date yet for it? Not yet. Uh, coincidentally, our club is about to get a whole new light system put in. Um, so we're talking about yeah, we've been operating the last six, seven years under the original light setup that had been put in a few years back. And uh, now we're going to get the whole thing replaced. So awesome. we're trying to make the new promotion coincide with uh, the rolling out of this. So yeah, pretty excited about that, man. Well, let me know when you have a date. I will come up for that without a doubt, man. Do you see you and hear you spin house? I'm, I'm sure. all about it. Oh, that'd, be dope, dope. Man. that'd be really dope. Yeah. It's one Monday a month. Um, you see, it's either going to be the first Monday of every month or the last Monday. We haven't figured it out yet. But all right. Yeah, that's right, something we're real, real excited for. Give a shout out to your booth mates. Who are your DJs up there with you? Man, I work with the best, like the best. I've ha- I'm lucky enough to have had a crew that's been together almost ten years now. Wow, lots of consistency. Um, man, it's just the best guys, man. Uh, I can't, I can never have this conversation without mentioning Owen, Owen Contreras. Love okay. that kid. Uh, this kid's a prodigy. I mean, you're talking about one of the most unique people I've ever met in my life, much less DJ. Right. Okay. But as a DJ, this kid's phenomenal. I mean, he, he knows everything about every type of software lighting or audio uh, related. Um, just a super smart kid, man. Super creative. And this kid's a legend too. Like he's been throwing fiend parties and crazy parties since he was in high school. I hear all these stories about him in Minneapolis, you know, wow. Uh, I remember hearing a story about him recreating that scene from Blade when he walks into the nightclub. Yes. One of his house parties, you know? And I guess this kid threw a party with complete with like red paint and like fake blood awesome. and all this stuff. And yeah, no, Owen's, Owen's the shit, man. And then my buddy, uh, Mike, who we affectionately call Rappy. He's our day <laughs> guy. Super cool kid, man. Just the most reliable, nicest, down to earth dude ever. I just have, I'm just really lucky to have a good crew, man. Really What's Mike's cool. last name? It, well, yeah, it's Mike, Mike K, but you know, we all call him Rappy. And the reason we call him Rappy is because he can actually rap. I mean, ah. you, know, you can like point at your phone and make, you know, say, Mike, make a rap about this. And he would just freestyle. <laughs> out. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yep. Shout out to the downtown cabaret DJ crew, man. They sound like awesome guys. I know Owen a little bit from the Panda Group, but I haven't really interacted yeah. with him. I'm going to have to reach out to him. Are you ready to have some fun, Charlie? Oh, you ready? Let's go. All right, man. It's time for the questions as made famous by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton on Inside the Actor Studio. Charlie Lee, you are on the hot seat. Here we go. Ten questions. What is your favorite word? Ooh. I don't know. Being from New York, I'd probably say dope. Dope. All right. A thousand times a day. So, yeah, that would be it. (laughs) What is your least favorite word? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. It's a tough one, man. 
Tough one. I can't think of anything off the bat. Something that comes to mind. First one pops in your head. Uh, bitch. I don't know. Bitch. <laughs> All right. That'll work. <laughs> Charlie Lee, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Hearing an amazing DJ at a club in a setting that uh, most people wouldn't get to see at. Ooh, so, yeah. yeah. It just made me jealous. <laughs> Charlie, what turns you off? Oh, man. Arrogant people. Name droppers. Those are the worst. Those are the absolute <laughs> worst. All right. Here's uh, everyone's favorite question. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, fuck. By, by a million miles. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I think that's been the only answer I've gotten since I've done this. <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you love? Sub bass. That's <laughs> subwoofer bass. Vibrate, baby. No. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, man. Um, people complaining? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Hell yeah. No. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Man, I've always thought that, you know, if I was a uh, computer programmer, that would never run out of work, especially in this day and age. So <laughs> a coder. Okay, a coder. What profession would you not like to do under any circumstance? I would be a banker, which is what the original plan was. <laughs> but, uh, Oops. Yeah. All right. Charlie, here's the modified one, the big one. If heaven exists, what musician or musicians would you most like to jam with in heaven? Oof. Um, man, man, oh, man. You know, you, get, you just get this flood of like a long list in your head and you can't think of a single one. Um, I don't know. I'd have to say Prince. There you go. You just had such a, you know, wide array of tastes and like ranges, you know, like amazing guitarist, amazing pop singer. I mean, uh, there wasn't anything that guy couldn't do. So absolutely. Charlie Lee, you are off the hot seat. Uh, thank you for joining me. It's been a blast. Uh, any social medias or websites you want to uh, shout out or for the people? To oh, no. you? Uh, you can follow me on SoundCloud, Charlie Foreplay, uh, slash Charlie Foreplay, uh, or follow me on Mixcloud, slash Charlie Foreplay. And go see him at Downtown Cabaret in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a beautiful club, I got to tell you, and they treat everyone world class there. I've been there, and it's, it's a great club for sure. Thanks for being on the show, man. It's been fun. Absolute pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to What's Hot in the Strip Clubs with Danny Myers and Alon Fong. Presented by Panda and Strip Joints Music. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.